It's Friday. It's time for another Beaches Audio Adventures, replacing the Beaches Motorcycle Adventures that could be and should be happening right now. Far across the border and the Great White North, Mike Knott in Thunder Bay. Hi, Mike. Hey, how's it going today, Robbie? So uh, sitting here, I'm enjoying uh, Quarantini. We grow our own grapes here and there's uh, every year I squeeze the juice from the grapes and we'll make some drink out of it. So uh, right now they're called Quarantinis. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> some uh, grape juice and some Tito's, I believe. But anywho, uh, so today we're, we're going to have a little bit interesting show. Well, they're always at least a little bit interesting. But today a little bit different perspective. Maybe is a better way to say that. We have a couple guests. We have Bonnie Knott, my lovely wife, and Gretchen Beach. And they're going to give us a little bit of different kind of insight to some of the things going on. It's different perspective, I guess. Well, hi, Bonnie. It's great to have you here, too. Hello, Rob and Gretchen. <laughs> it's an honor to be here today. <laughs> My other option was to be working. This is much more fun sitting here, enjoying the view and having a quarantini. Quarantine. Quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> the reason that we've invited Gretchen and Bonnie along today is because of the perspective that they offer which is from the back of the bike as a passenger and so we thought it would be very interesting for all of us riders and all of you people that are sitting on the back regularly to uh, get some insight on exactly what goes on from the back of the motorcycles that we ride. I'd say it's a bit of a pet peeve of mine in that so many times in the motorcycle magazines, videos, YouTube videos, whatever, there's never a perspective from the passenger and it's an important perspective. They, they make up a lot of the decision making of what motorcycle you're going to buy or what trip you're going to take, uh, anything along those lines. So we're changing that today. Ah, very good. Changing history. Yeah, we're changing history. Now, that's an interesting point, Mike, is uh, rarely do you see a photo in a magazine of a bike two up and rarely is the discussion or the text actually from someone that's sitting on the back. Interesting point. Oh, yeah, so uh, let's start off with a few questions for, for our guests. Um, maybe you want to tell us about your experience with motorcycles. How did you get into uh, motorcycles? Did you start off as a rider or um, as the driver? Some people like calling it driver, some people not so much. I like calling it the driver. So, Ivani, <laughs> so how did you get started? Well, I actually had been on a motorcycle before I even met you. <laughs> Way back 30 plus years, but let's move forward a little bit. Maybe I can say my interest in motorcycles helped me uh, kind of connect with you because Mike and I worked in the same place and he drove a motorcycle to work. So I expressed an interest in that. But I did take a motorcycle driving school at one point and I think it probably helped me become a better passenger, learning that my actions really can influence the rider. But from my experience of riding, being, being a driver, I kind of figured I didn't have the confidence that I should have as a, a rider. And I liked being a passenger better than being a rider. So I continued on as a passenger and Mike has told me many times I'm a very good passenger. So I think that maybe the driving school did help with that a little bit. And it probably made you a better car driver too. Uh, I think we've talked about yeah. that before for sure. Start seeing more bikes, right? It's the, the bumper sticker, start seeing motorcycles. 
they encourage that. So yeah, no, it's a whole new perspective of the driving school was. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, Bonnie, because I also, well, I grew up with a family of motorcyclists and spent some time riding in the desert got my street license, but never rode on the street, and then renewed my street license, what, 10 years ago? About that. Like that. Mm -hmm. And still haven't really ridden on the street. I've put in some effort in a parking lot, but I just really enjoy being a passenger. And I think a significant part of being a good passenger is that I do understand how to ride. I just don't have the confidence to get on the street and go out there and ride a whole tour. Well, certainly part of the problem in your situation, Gretchen, is you spend so much time in Europe that there's not a lot of easy riding around where you are and you're gone on tour so much of the year also. So there's not a lot of downtime in between and the downtime is doing your other work. So uh, probably contrary to what a lot of people think, downtime means yeah you're doing office work you're not doing the touring work <laughs> but so, so you have limited time and the roads are very challenging there so it's it, it's tough for you well i think you have to really have a passion for it to be good at it yeah and that passion doesn't exist enough for me to make time to get good at it then i really don't belong on the roads in europe that's actually a really good point in that i've seen that often for whatever reason it's it, it tends to be more of a spouses, but not just them. Everybody probably has that friend who buys the motorcycle because his other friends have one, uh, but doesn't, isn't really that interested in it. And it ends up sitting in the garage for 99% of its life. And you tend to see that more, it seems, with the spouses. They get one maybe because their husband encourages them because he wants to ride by himself. <laughs> not by himself, but with another bike with another yes, bike yeah, the yeah husband's encouraged us to get it and then we're like oh, but this isn't really what i want and i don't feel comfortable so we do it to kind of please you but mm. I, I think you're risking people's lives <laughs> maybe my own other people's i don't know yeah. but yeah so, much so, safer so like you said if you don't passenger. have a passion then you're not gonna often especially where we live the weather is not so great uh, and often makes more sense to take your car instead of the bike. So you have to be enthusiast, so you will say the heck with it. I know it's easier to jump in the car and go, but I'm going to throw my backpack and my luggage so I can go do these errands and stuff because you're enthusiast. But if you're not, hey, you just don't do that. So you don't get the saddle time, you don't get better. But let's, uh, hey, let's talk about that, kind of the difference then. How do you, what do you see the differences in being the passenger in North America compared to Europe? Money. What do you? Have? What's, <laughs> so, one of the bigger things, obviously, is like well, the roads are totally different. Because our first tour was in two thousand and four, and we had done the European Alps. And they said to Mike, "We should see the the um, mountains in Canada, the Rockies in Canada." So, the next summer, our vacation, we threw the motorcycle in the back of the truck, drove out to the Rockies because we live so far from everything. <laughs> drove out there and we're riding on the motorcycle on this great big four lane road built for fifth wheels. And I'm looking around and like, like, where's all the fun roads? Where's all the cool roads? Where's all these trail roads? Like we rode in Europe and there isn't any, yeah, really. there's the, the riding is so different. I mean, the vastness of the Rockies compared to, I mean, we went to the Rockies and we were there for a couple of days where we go to Europe and we're riding for two weeks, mountain roads, passes every day, all day long, eight, 10 hours a day. I mean, we drove, 
for two days to get to them, then spent three days in them and then came home. But the roads were just so different and the scenery is different. And there's so much history in Europe that Canada doesn't have, like we're only 150 years old. You've mentioned before, Bonnie, about stopping. So, so even so distances, like maybe you want to talk about that stopping because of course, stopping, getting off the bike often as, as drivers and myself, I know I could, um, I stop for gas and just go, <laughs> but as a passenger, that's not so cool. But Well, I think as a passenger, you're maybe a little bit, not, I wouldn't say uncomfortable, but you, I tend not to move because I know my movement influences the bike. And uh, sometimes you're just kind of not quite prepared. You know a motorcycle is about to pass you and you know, it's startled. So I, I try to be very still, mm -hmm. but then I get sore. Mm -hmm. So I think that the stopping is good for me to get off and stretch my legs. When we travel in Europe, we're stopping constantly because you want to take a picture or just absorb the scenery. Over here, we're riding and riding and riding, and there's really nothing to see. <laughs> there's no reason to stop. But in Europe, it's just, it's absolutely breathtaking, at least in my opinion. And I know I have been on tours with other members, and we're stopping and enjoying a scenery or a picnic lunch. And I've said to people, if you had to put in words and try and describe the vastness or the beauty of what you're seeing right now do you think you could and they say no like i'm like i cannot find the words to describe you need to take pictures you need to have video to show people because you i truly couldn't describe it yeah and even, even that doesn't get it across no that's far more interesting to write in europe than here it seems like any rides that I've taken in the States, the first half and the last half of the ride are getting to or coming from the good road. And you're going to go ride a good road or a couple of good roads, stop off at the cafe that is where everyone hangs out. And then you go back the other way and get back on the highway and go back home. And it's definitely not as interesting it's not it just doesn't capture you i can spend hours on the bike and be quite happy i like stopping and, and looking around and taking pictures of things as well but it's so different there with the constant like visual stimulation yeah that's a good way to describe it and i think maybe that's one of the things that most under unappreciated viewpoints uh, when we're talking to people about riding in Europe and people are talking about their spouses coming or not and often you hear that well they don't really like it because they're bored they're this and you try and explain how it's yeah mm -hmm. but it's so different Bonnie's not a big fan of riding here because the distances are so great and that you don't have that problem there that yeah you're you're riding for eight hours a day but you're not doing 800 kilometers you're not pounding the highway you're doing 200 kilometers it's taking you eight hours because you're off the bike and you're looking around you stop and you go and you stop at the cafe and you yeah it's, it's different and i don't think a lot of spouses when they're thinking about coming know that i remember too our first tour where well, I wasn't used to riding to that extent. And when we rode here, we would, you know, go for an afternoon ride a couple hours. So in Europe, it's, it's, it's a bike tour. You're riding almost every day, all day long. And some days are pretty long and you go through some hot temperatures. And, and by the end of the day, I'm pretty tired. And I said, oh, yeah, tomorrow's a free day. I'm not getting on that bike. 
uh, we were in Switzerland at the time. I said, I'm just going to, you know, chill tomorrow. And the next morning I woke up and I looked out the window and I'm like, oh my God, it's so beautiful here. And Mike's, so what do you want to do? I go, let's go ride. I want to go see something. Why do I want to sit in this hotel room? But my perspective the night before I was tired, but the next morning it's like, why would I sit around a hotel? I could do that anywhere. Like, no, we need to go explore. Maybe not quite a 10 hour day. Let's just do a eight hour day. <laughs> but yeah, no, not sitting around the hotel room. From a physical standpoint, what's different between riding in the States and riding in Europe? Because you're sitting on the back of the bike, forgetting the, the times and the distances, but what's what's actually different about riding in the mountains in Europe than the mountains in, in the Rockies or, or across Ontario? I mean, part of it too is just the constant scenery. There's something to see and look at and often like people have said they liked following us because I'm looking around I'm not paying attention to the the driving Mike's doing that so I see a castle up on the right and and I'm pointing and people said they like following us because they see that I'm pointing somewhere and then they look up and they're like oh look at look at what she's pointing at so but I just find you know being a lot more scenic and I find here, in Canada at least, the roads, it's long and boring. There's not that much to look at, but I fall asleep on the back of the bike. The only time I've fallen asleep, I think, has been when we've been driving on highways and it's boring. It's just, you're going fast and there's nothing to look at and it's just not as exciting, but on the roads in, that we tend to take on the beaches tours, they're very scenic and lots to look at. And, and I agree that you are more integrated with the riding the driving because you are paying attention all these twisting roads and stuff you are more connected so that kind of leads us to actually since you mentioned that while falling asleep on the back it's bonnie's done it many times we've had people many, uh, <laughs> uh, many yeah i think many times right i would say uh usually yeah you're pounding the highway to get somewhere in, uh, in canada europe wherever uh, Portugal a few times we had our friends laughing because she was nodding off because so, we were taking all highways then. yeah it was all highway like okay we gotta get from A to B so let's talk about backrest because that kind of leads into that a bit so uh Gretchen backrest yes or no no pourquoi not? <laughs> oh there's so many reasons I think a backrest makes it a lot harder to get on and off the bike I think a backrest gives one a tendency to lean back instead of being close to your rider and being an integrated part of the ride. So you're way disconnected from what's happening. From a rider's perspective, you're sort of a, a pendulum swinging the wrong way. If a bike has a low speed tip over, it generally the bike slides away from you. So you're not going to get injured. Um, if you have a backrest, you're going to get pushed with the bike and you have very good odds of your leg getting trapped between the saddlebag and the ground and snapping it. So that's just a few of the reasons I'm not a fan of them. Uh, Bonnie, backrest. Hmm. Well, my very first thought was the same as Gretchen's first thought is harder getting on and off the bike. And I, I agree with then you're just kind of leaning back. You're not integrated with the driver. That was both my thoughts as well. It's been a long time since you had a bike with a backrest. So most of my riding has been without and we've never had one in Europe. I think after a, a two week bike tour, I feel like my core is stronger than before <laughs> I started because you're, you're hanging on where mm. if I had a backrest, I'd probably be, uh, you know, 
falling off. <laughs> Although that, <laughs> too that, relaxed. That said, you still you'll still fall asleep on the back of the bike without a backrest. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, which is uh, that's I think what people find amazing. It's like how the heck is she staying on there? Well, it is, it, your body positioning is is in the proper place. You can, and that is. I think one of the biggest factors for not using one, if you look at a picture of somebody with a backrest while they're generally leaning on the backrest, so their weight, their torso is back generally behind the rear axle of the motorcycle, really affects the handling. And if you don't have a backrest, they're more, like you said, you're engaging your core muscles, you're sitting more straight up and down, closer to the rider. Your, the core of your body will be generally on the axle or in front of the axle. Depends. Multistrata, you're in front of the axle. You have no leg room, but uh, <laughs> but you'll be you're definitely closer to the center line of the motorcycle, which uh, only affects the handling in a positive way. The other way affects it very negatively. Very negatively, and that's something that people that haven't ridden on snotty little roads in the Alps can't really appreciate until they suddenly are there wrestling a motorcycle around with someone on the back pushing against a backrest and it gets much more difficult than it does if the rider and passenger are more integrated and working as one. I think part of it too is a lot of passengers are afraid of falling off the back and that comes from the rider being unpredictable. So if the rider's on and off the gas and you don't know what's about to happen, then you're getting jerked around. And I can understand the fear of falling off the back. We've had a couple of rides on, I think it was the 1200, not the 1250, 1200 GS that had some weird engine mapping. And the input that I was getting was sort of behind what was actually happening on the bike. And so it was causing me to constantly feel like I didn't know what was going on. And I'm so used to knowing what Rob's going to do that I, my body automatically knows how to react and how to prepare for the acceleration or, or braking that's about to happen. But with this engine mapping that we were using, it was coming as, everything was coming as a surprise. And I imagine that if someone is riding around with a rider who's constantly surprising them, I couldn't do it. I could barely get through a, a tour on that bike. Yeah, being consistent and predictable is very, very important. If the backrest is there indeed for the comfort so that I don't fall off the back, it's a Band-Aid for uh, a problem and it's not actually addressing the problem, which is the rider of the motorcycle, the operator of the motorcycle, who's not being consistent enough to give that same passenger a, com a, a comfortable, easy ride without the Band-Aid of the backrest. Yeah, yeah that riders, it's your fault. <laughs> it is. And Gretchen is sitting on the back of the bike and we're thundering around. And at times we're really thundering around and she's not hanging on any harder when we're doing that than she does when we're riding normally, which is to say she's not hanging on much at all. She's turned around. She's got a camera in her hand. She's taking pictures behind her, above her, to the left, to the right. Bonnie certainly does the same thing when she's got a camera. The passengers are paying attention to what's going on around rather than what's happening in front because they know what the motorcycle is going to do based on the inputs that have been consistent. Every time we come up to a, a corner and start to get ready to break, it happens the same way. So she, Gretchen knows once this movement starts to happen, it's going to be breaking and it may be very hard breaking, 
but it's not all at once. It's, it's in, in a linear way that allows her to react to it as it's happened every time, consistently, consistently. And that's another reason not to have a backrest. If I had a backrest and I was sitting farther back, I would not have the input from Rob's body that I get, you know, just by having my legs there and knowing what's going on. So you have to be an integrated part of what's happening. And I was kind of thinking too about the backrest almost seems that possibly the people who want the backrest is if they don't have the confidence in the person driving the motorcycle and it's a maybe a bit of a crutch or an aid for them. So let's uh, talk about intercoms. Gretchen, intercom, yes or no? Um, yes and no. <laughs> I prefer an in intercom, but I do not prefer an open intercom, nor do I want an open intercom under any circumstances, nor do I want to be intercom to my friends or other tour members. I like the intercom so that I can communicate clearly with Rob when I need to or want to or show him something, look over there, I see this castle, let's head over there. But I don't want constant open mic at all. So what we have are Senna's, and if I wanna to talk to them, I just push the button. We didn't used to use an intercon. This year was the first year that we had them, and I really, really liked it. Now one important thing for those of you that are listening and, and thinking about the intercoms is to understand that Virtually all the riding that we do in Europe is done at significantly slower speeds than you're riding here in the States. And routinely and regularly on state highways or even, even secondary roads in North America, you're riding along at 50 or 60 miles an hour. The wind noise is significantly higher uh, when you're going that speed than the speeds that we're normally traveling in Europe. So an intercom isn't quite as necessary. For years, Gretchen and I were able to carry on a conversation. We were missing words here and there, but we could actually carry on a conversation while we were riding in Europe routinely. So we spent years doing that. But now we're old and deaf. <laughs> yeah. And we do have the Senna's and they're wonderful systems. We are very enthused about the Senna's and how convenient they are. And actually, for people that are coming on tour who have not ever used an intercom, we have some uh, sample units that you can put on your helmets and use for a couple of days to get an idea of how well the centers work. Oh, right on, yeah. Bonnie and I have used an intercom for well, a number of years now, and it's just really nice. I know for years you two had modular helmets, so you could open up the the face of your helmet, and what makes it way way more uh, convenient for for talking. But if you don't have that, it, of course, it's it's harder to uh, to hear someone talk and their voices are muffled. But, but anyways, with, with their intercom, it's just really nice that way in that it's, um, hey, look at the castle, look at the cow, look at the whatever. Yeah, look look at out! <laughs> <laughs> right, no, yeah, look at the cow, look out for the cow. It, we, we found we really like it. It's just great for, even in North America, I should say even in North America, but in North America also, because you have more time to kind of kill. It's like, oh, I kind of chat a bit. We Neither one of us plays music. Because uh, I found, anyways, the sound isn't that great, and with the wind noise and everything, in order for the music to be decent, I would you'd have to crank it up so loud it's damaging to your ears. I think it's funny that you're talking about hearing music because our last tour, our, our headset was acting up, and every once in a while it would pick up music from your iPhone or something. Mm. And the first time it happened, we're riding along, mm -hmm. and I'm kind of looking around like I hear music, <laughs> and then I realized it's in my 
in my headphones would <laughs> come in and out and like what's going on and yeah. but Mike couldn't hear it at all so I preferred not hearing music but actually Gretchen you surprised me because we didn't tour this year so any riding that I ever saw you guys do you weren't wearing a headset so when this question came up I was thinking you were going to say no headset so no no I've been wanting one for some time because okay. it, it has gotten harder and harder to hear and I don't know if that's the bikes that we're riding because they change all the time some of them are louder than others the 850 for sure I have a harder time hearing than on the 1250 so I think that's part of it but maybe aging too no, no, it's the no, no, it's the bikes. It has to be the bikes. It's aging is a significant part of it. I will not deny that. Okay, so let's move on to speaking of bikes. So, do you have a favorite bike or a bike you don't like as much? What bikes have you liked touring on? Probably a common question. Certainly, a lot of people think about that going to Europe. What bike should I be on, Bonnie? What what bike have you liked? Well, I guess we always seem to have the same one and um, <laughs> it was the same one we have at home but I think the first time we did a tour was the first time like previous to that you mm. had was it the Triumph Tiger which was mm. an adventure touring bike mm. yeah but um, let's uh, let's but, say of, of the BMW bikes because that's what we're dealing with not certainly not it's just that but let's uh, render this down a bit so we've been on the on the GS Right? That's the same bike as I yeah, have. We, uh, we had the RS, that was a sporty bike, or as you called it, the pretty bike. And <laughs> and then last year we were on the 1250R. And you seem to like the 1250R. Was that what? Yeah, there was one that I couldn't remember. There was one that somehow, I it was one that Gretchen didn't care for. We swapped bikes, I think, for an afternoon. I did feel really more integrated with mm. you. And um, you had said you were going quite fast and I wasn't complaining about it. So <laughs> I thought, yeah, I was very comfortable, but I can't remember which one that was. You said that the was, R? That was a 1250R, okay. which is the naked sporting bike. And it doesn't really, you don't think of it as that comfortable a bike, but again, it's different when you're there because you're not doing the highway stuff and that. So not having a fairing and everything intimidates people. They think, it's not going to be as comfortable, but it seemed like you were really comfortable on it. I think because partly at least our seating position was more, more intimate. We're closer. And if you're going to pound 800 kilometers, which is roughly 4,000 miles in American, um, if you're going to pile, <laughs> pile a what? bunch of miles on, that isn't as good. If it's 30 Celsius and you're going to just hammer the interstate, you probably want a little bit more space, but that's not the type of riding we're generally speaking about. We're talking about twisty tight roads. And so I think you liked or appreciated that we were seated a little bit tighter and the bike really seemed to handle better. It's a little bit lower to the ground. A little easier to get on and off for a short-legged gal like me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the bike the two of you both didn't like was the 1000 uh, XR. A great bike, I think, for a single person, although you know that I don't know, but it, it's very uh, stiff ride. But um, the GS, I think you've liked the GS. Before, yeah, but. yeah. I mean, it's a good all-around kind of on-off road type ride, mm -hmm. right? And great for the roads that we're going on there. Gretchen's been rating the motorcycles, and last summer she started a rating system. And what what are the things that you think are important on a bike to keep it comfortable? I started a bike rating system that a lot of people will have very different priorities than I did, but I actually 
geeked out and I made a spreadsheet that has the list of items that are important to me, like the seat, the GPS view, the saddlebag use, the saddlebag position, the foot peg height for mounting, foot peg position, where the grab bags are, um, how the rear fender works, is there a big rooster that stokes me on a rainy day, um, what I thought about the suspension. So all those things have a value like my of one to five. So my value for seat comfort is five. My value for where the grab bars are is a two. It's not as important. And then within that, on the same bike, I go through and I rate it on a scale of one to five. And then I multiply the two together and add them up and the bike gets a score. <laughs> so for instance, the 2019-1250 GSHP has a total score of 182 and a half. And the 2019 F850 GS has a total score of 183 and a half. So I like that a little bit better. But all of the bikes that we ride, you know, we go through the fleet riding a bunch of different ones. They all have different positives other than the 1000 XR. XR <laughs> I will never ride again. Oh, that was awful as a passenger. The seat was like the size of a postage stamp. The bike was with Robbie that one time and went down the pass. It was really stiff. It was a really oh, sporty okay. bike. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was awful. I didn't care for that one either. It was awful. Yeah, and it's not the suspension as much as the seat and the foot pegs. That I mean, it's it's a you know it's a full on sport bike from the passenger standpoint. Yeah, it was like I should have been wearing you know short shorts and a tank top riding through Daytona and Florida. I felt like not. So the problem wasn't so much with the bike as you chose chose your attire poorly right she was wearing too many clothes <laughs> yeah. exactly had you chose more properly it would have been a great bike it would have been much more comfortable if my legs weren't folded up to my ears in full gear that's true but other than that i find that i like a really skinny passenger seat as skinny as i can get because i get more relief um, on the pressure points as we're going through the curves versus a big seat that cushions my whole tushy and I never get any relief on the pressure points. So a lot of people don't agree with my favorite bike choices. Um, the foot peg position is important because my knees do get bothered if my feet are bent too far back. And that's an important point, right? And when you say that maybe people don't necessarily agree with you, there's different body body types, of course. And then something simple as that, maybe your knees are more, uh, more akin to uh, being sore if you're using a different way. And, you know, you're turning around, taking pictures of the riders as they go. So that your knees are actually probably getting stressed a little bit more than normal. Most people aren't doing what you're doing. <laughs> but the riding style has got a lot to do with it as well. When we are in a situation where we've got to kind of amble along slowly because of the group behind us, and we're not accelerating hard, and we're not deaccelerating hard, and therefore we're not moving on the bike as much, or we're not weight shifting, and it's remarkable how sore I get, and Gretchen is mirroring the same comments that I have, on the back and she'll finally get annoyed and say let's go for a ride and it's not because we need to go fast it's because we need to start moving around on the bike and so your riding style can have a whole lot to do with how comfortable a motorcycle is 
and we do tend to break late into the corners and accelerate reasonably hard coming out. And I mean, we're not racing around, we're not going all that fast, but we're doing it with purpose. Whatever we're doing, we do with purpose, going around a corner, getting on the gas, getting on the brakes, it happens. <laughs> so that is a little different than if we were simply cruising down the road. Well, you know, the job I probably hated the most in my youth when I was a youth was being a flagman. And it's funny, just you saying that reminded me of it. It's like, man, you're standing there, you're on a lonely Northwest Ontario highway, car would come by every hour and a half. And all you can think about, man, my feet are sore. Jeez, geez, my back is sore because you're standing there not doing anything. So yeah, if you're kind of standing around or sitting around with not much going on, you're not moving, you have way too much time to think about that stuff too. Right. And so there's a situation where the motorcycle that you may find very, very attractive if you're riding in North America somewhere, uh, very attractive from the comfort standpoint. This bike is really great when I'm riding from Ontario to uh, Quebec. And that's a, a very different type of riding and, and uh, tempo and everything else than we're going to find in Europe. So uh, don't, don't identify the high points of a motorcycle in North America and look for those same things necessarily on the bike that you're going to ride in Europe. Hey, next question. Do you help with navigation? Bonnie. <laughs> I'd like to think I do. Knows <laughs> 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 I'm a little bit directionally challenged, but there has been the odd time I have been correct. <laughs> and that's when having the communicators help. Sometimes the way the we're positioned on the bike and I can't see the GPS. So that influences if I'm able to assist or not. But in the good old days when we didn't have a GPS and I had a map that fit in the jacket, Mike's back zipper, and I'd pull it out and look at it and push it back in and then point which way we're supposed to go. Or the one time I had little handwritten notes, a little piece of paper inside my glove, and then it flew away. <laughs> <laughs> So I'd like to think I do help, but maybe that's a better question for you, Mike. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, totally. Certainly kind of what you're saying. So on the GS, the navigation is, uh, is up high and we both can see it. But on some of the other bikes, like the 1250R, the RS, the nav unit is down on the triple tree and the passenger can't really see it. When it's on the GS, she can see it. And generally what you see is you'll see we're off route and you'll say, <laughs> hey, we're off route. Like, oh. Damn, okay. Oh, uh, we missed a turn. Because <laughs> you're too involved looking at the scenery to even notice that you're... Yeah, yeah, you're having fun. Taking a so, and detour. Then, that is totally a help. Like, oh, crap, okay, and then you look, do we have to turn around or can we keep going? Yeah, so well, we don't both have a little bit different style for using the GPS where mm. I seem to, my brain needs to be zoomed in more and you mm. zoom out more, so... You know, we argue about that because I need to understand. <laughs> yeah, so sometimes I help, sometimes I don't. It's hard because, yeah, like Bonnie says, we have the two different ways. There's like the wrong way and the right way. Ah. So, uh, yeah, but, <laughs> so, Gretchen, how about you? Do you help with nav? As Bonnie says, I'd like to think I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do enjoy watching the navigation. I enjoy helping come up with places to go or helping figure out. If we see a restaurant up on a hill and we want to figure out how to get there, I like looking at the GPS and finding a curvy road and being part of that. I really do enjoy that. I enjoy creating the routes. The other reason that you like to see the GPS is it gives you a handle on how much of the ride's still in front of us and uh, what's happening. That is hugely important towards the end of the day, for sure. 
once we hit mid uh, mid to late afternoon, I am watching the countdown of how many Ks are left or how many how much time is left because it helps me with my, with having attitude adjustment. Like if it's only if I'm feeling really crummy and I'm done with the ride and there's 40k left, it's really easy to stay nice. <laughs> But if I'm feeling really cruddy and I look down and there's 150K left, then I do get snarky. No, Gretchen, not at all. No, no, get a little upset with the way that I routed that particular day. That's not the same thing as being snarky exactly. I remember one time we were riding in Northwestern Ontario. There's a whole lot of nothing. And I thought we were getting really close to... Sault Marie and actually I think we hadn't even got to Wawa yet and we're driving along and I saw a sign that was I think 85k to go and I think I almost started crying because I, <laughs> I thought we got to be there we got to almost be there I'm like what no way no when I when I'm done and I look down and there's 40k and I maintain my attitude and then Rob turns and we're off route because he's got some other plan to make sure that we stay out for another two and a half hours. Ice cream stop, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but it's just, I'm, I can't help myself sometimes, you know? She's a pretty good sport, though, when that happens, most of the time. What you're seeing on that side of the closed doors is she's a great sport. Oh, yeah. She's really good with it. All right. <laughs> That's what we see. So uh, let's um, top top things you would want a passenger to know. Maybe let's uh, let's look at this from the perspective of a new passenger. Someone's coming to Europe for the first time. Passenger, what do you think are some important things they should know? Uh, Gretchen, I want to know why you skipped the question about what we don't like about you guys. Um, because we're saving that to the end, so it's easier to edit. <laughs> 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 so Bonnie, do you have? What would you have for some kind of top tip or tips for a new passenger coming to Europe for the first time? Well, I think we kind of talked about it jokingly earlier about the what you're wearing on the bike. So to me, one of the most important things is proper riding gear. In a two-week tour, we can go through anywhere between. In one tour, we saw snow, and on the same tour, it was 85 degrees or higher. And well, I tried to convert that in my head from Celsius, so it's <laughs> maybe maybe it was higher than 85 it's Fahrenheit. But 180 <laughs> degrees, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, so you need to be prepared to and rain or snow. So if you're comfortable, I think you can ride through just about anything. If you're cold, you're miserable. Or if you get wet, um, so proper gear, I would say, is number one. And most that's, important that seems to be something we see often not necessarily in europe but overall you get a new passenger people don't want to spend the money on the gear because what if they're not going to use it again and i understand that but you're almost setting yourself up for failure when you do things like that because proper quality of gear and fitting gear makes such a huge difference and if you're wearing an ill-fitting jacket that lets the air in it isn't waterproof and it it's rainy and cold and well guess what yeah they're not having fun they're not going to want to come back oh geez and if they're not having fun you're not having fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gear is important having good gear that i don't have to think about 
I'm comfortable all day long. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that would be my number one, number one. Um, number two would probably be, and maybe partly from assisting you as van driver, is you don't need to bring as much stuff as you think you do. Clothes-wise, uh, for evening dinners and stuff, I think every tour that we've gone on, I've packed lighter and lighter and lighter from just from experience. Airlines are charging more and more for baggage and stuff, so you'll save some money by not bringing as much stuff as you think you need to bring. Yeah, you really don't need a new outfit every night. Nobody's yeah. counting. And you have it on for a few hours. And I mean, I tend to bring a, a nicer a long sleeve t-shirt that I'll wear one night for evening for dinner, but then I can wear it on the bike later on on the tour. So I try to bring things that I could use kind of twice. Or you bring a, a sundress that also could be a beach cover up that also could be a, a evening dinner dress. So um, try to multi-purpose multi my clothing. And I think another thing that's maybe a, a Canadian thing to do, I don't know, is when you're going to a country where they speak other languages, it's nice to be able to say a few greetings like hello, goodbye, or thank you, or please in the language into the country that you're going. So if you had time to learn a couple words, you know, a smile and a thank you goes a long way. Yeah, those are all really good tips, Bonnie. I think that your perspective, because you have the tour member perspective as well, you have a lot more to add to that particular question than I do. From my perspective, what I would tell a passenger is to make sure that you want to be a passenger, make sure that you're comfortable with your rider. And if that takes doing more local rides until you get over there and get to know his riding style or her riding style and know how the two of you can work together as a team, because you're not just a sack of potatoes on the back of the bike, preparing yourself for the idea of being on the bike all day and that this is an adventure tour, not uh, sit on the beach vacation. Which that's a big difference, right? Yeah, as opposed to going on the beach and we have two different ideas of what we would like to do. And Bonnie and I, we, we go to the all-inclusive beach vacation often in winter. And I really like playing beach volleyball. Bonnie likes lying on the beach reading a book and that's all good. And we go swim in the ocean. That's fine because we can do two separate things. You can't really do that <laughs> on a motorcycle trip when you're both on the same motorcycle. So you need to have the same kind of goals or, or same idea of what's going to be fun. I think if you come over open-minded, it may be something you've never experienced before, but you've got to have an open mind and be willing to make it fun. I'll diverge a little bit on that, though, and also point out that if, it, as a passenger, you're riding at home and you're not always comfortable on the back of the motorcycle, that it's time to drop that little factoid in your rider's lap and call your rider out and say, listen, I'm not comfortable and here's why. And it could very well be because your, your rider actually isn't in quite the same control of his vehicle that he thinks he's in and needs some more training to make it smoother and more consistent and better for you. How do you approach someone who, if you say, I would love to go to Europe with you, but I am uncomfortable with your riding, I think you need training. How do you deal with someone's ego in a fragile relationship like that? Um, with some people you can't, but with some people, um, hopefully they'll at least put it out there to other friends and say, you know, this is a comment that I got. What do you think? And 
reasonable friends will say, yeah, that could be. That could be. That's what I got you for your birthday. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. That's yeah. a very good idea. Yeah. You want to go to Europe? That's great. For your birthday, I got you some rider training. And, uh, you know, riders, if you have ever said, I'll never get on the back of a motorcycle with somebody, think about that. Actually, I no did say that once. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being with Mike and we were arguing about directions. <laughs> and we got off the bike and we're standing there. This was before GPS, yeah. maybe even before communicators. And I'm like, I will never, ever go on another motorcycle ride with you again. <laughs> and that was probably... 30 no no 20. 28 years ago <laughs> and i've been on lots since then <laughs> so uh that leads us into i want you ladies to think really hard and if you could just come up with one and only one <laughs> <laughs> one pet peeve of things we do as the as the driver rider or whatever that uh, drives you crazy or something you don't like all right, so if you can think of one thing, Gretchen. Why does she always get to go first? Bonnie. <laughs> <laughs> She's a little too eager for this. <laughs> no, no, I was just thinking, if I say I have to go pee, I really want to stop. <laughs> yes. Not another yes. half an hour from now. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so the, that's, the that's difference between one. a male bladder and a female bladder. <laughs> okay, uh, uh, fair enough. <laughs> I'm only allowed one. <laughs> if I'm hungry, I'm hungry. I want to stop. Um, but I, Rob's pretty good about both of those. Sometimes the peeing thing, not so much. But I would say my biggest pet peeve with Rob, he is well aware of, is that I don't like getting into the hotel with 20 minutes to get ready for dinner. I can do it one time on a tour, but anything more than that, it sets me on fire. Well, with you too, Gretchen, it's because you're not a tour member. You're, you have a job to do when you get there. And so there's added pressure there. It's like, listen, I want to get in there and collect my thoughts and, and get some stuff organized. And I, I don't know why Rob wouldn't know better. I, I would think he would, but whatever. Right? <laughs> no, I mean, it's important. I like to come in and have some time off the bike outside, talking to people that are hanging out outside and then have some time in my room to decompress and prepare myself to go socialize at dinner, take a shower, get ready. I mean, we're not talking about five hours here. I'm asking for 90 minutes, but that would be my absolute biggest pet peeve, which he's well aware of. Silence. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's nobody in this little podcast here that's going to defend me right now, so I'm just going to be quiet. <laughs> Maybe move on to the next question. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I think we're going to skip to the lightning round here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> lightning round, yeah, yeah. So, uh, one word answers. One word answers. One word answers. Both get a chance to answer. Bonnie goes first and we'll alternate. So, oh. Bonnie, mountains or ocean? Ocean. Gretchen? Mountains. Gretchen, too hot or too cold? Too cold. Mm, I'd say too hot. Bonnie, hot tub or sauna? Oh, hot tub. Sauna. We're <laughs> <laughs> the opposite. Gretchen, tinted shield or sunglasses? Sunglasses. Shield. Bonnie, Disney or Universal Studios? Universal Studios. Disney. <laughs> <laughs> Gretchen, Switzerland or Austria? Austria. Austria. Oh, we've got Woo! concurrence. Wow. Oh, oh. Bonnie, Corsica or Sardinia? Oh, geez. I have to go back one more time to pick. 
Okay. <laughs> good answer. Good answer. Corsica. Gretchen. Kartoffeln or Spätzle? Spätzle. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I don't think I could have Spätzle. It's not gluten-free. I've it's never had it. I don't gluten know. That's right. Kartoffeln is potato. That's oh, a good okay. answer. Yeah. Adriatic Sea or Tyrrhenian Sea? Adriatic. I agree. Gretchen. Munich or Florence? Munich. Munich. In München. Yeah. Okay. Final question. Spring tour or fall tour? Spring. Spring. Huh. Cool. Flowers. Huh? Yeah, everything's greener. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, Very yeah. true. Yeah, lots of waterfalls. Well, with that, I think we spring into our wrap up. Well, I'll tell you from my wrap up side here, folks, it is to say that you've had the opportunity to hear from somebody that sat on the back of my motorcycle now for about a decade and actually does a very, very tremendous job of passengering back there through the good and the bad and through the warm and the cold and through the fun times and the arduous times, uh, Gretchen's sitting on the back being part of what I do. It takes a special person to do that. So good on you, Gretchen. Good on you, Gretchen. It's a pleasure to be your passenger, darling. Oh, wow. There's gotta be some advantages to sleeping with the boss. <laughs> <laughs> right on, well, this has been fun. Thank you, ladies. And, Thanks uh, for having us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you. We'll, we'll do it again another time. So, Mike, do you have any ideas for what we're going to talk about next week? Well, you know, almost along this theme, geez, do you think we, do we know any riders, female riders that came on tour by themselves? And maybe we could get that kind of perspective. We've got the passenger's point of view from a female perspective. Uh, maybe we could talk to a few people who came on as a rider. I think we can probably come up with a few. I'll work on that all during the next week, and we'll see what we can come up with. Well, thanks again. Thank you, Bonnie. Hey, and Robbie, neither one of us is in the doghouse. That's a win-win. <laughs>